Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the What the Hell Did I Just Watch podcast. Um, that's the banner that we're running under right now. But soon we'll be called the Monolith Medium Podcast, and we'll be available on Apple Podcast and Stitcher. The reason that I'm switching the title of this is because the previous title that we have and the one that we're working with right now does not really accommodate the discussions that I would really like to have that I think are really valuable to everybody who might be listening. What I mean by that is not that I'm going to stop making episodes like this and like the first Reformed episode from past weeks, but just that I want to be able to accommodate other conversations. I want to be able to talk about films with guests that that are able to encapsulate not just analysis and deep dives into films, but just 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 for enjoyable conversation regarding film. And I will not disregard deep analysis, but this is just something that I want to be able to accommodate. As well as having even further, maybe even deeper academic conversations, like we'll be having in the coming weeks. We're releasing um, a horror aesthetic on our website uh, that will be used to criticize film, uh, hopefully for years to come. <laughs> I say years to come, for as many, as long as we can. And uh, we'll be discussing that uh, with the writer on this, ep- on this uh, podcast. But that's what we're going to do. We're switching the title. We'll be available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And I'm excited to be available there for you guys and perhaps probably a more accessible platform. But even bigger news, perhaps, is that we are launching our website, the Monolith Medium website. So you'll be able to find us at monolithmedium.com. And we have a lot of upcoming material, as well as past material, if you're not familiar with our material that we've already released. We have seven posts currently on our journal, as well as one review. We're going to have two podcasts, this one included. And then in future, we're going to be releasing content that's academic and just first impressions and maybe even lasting impressions via our review page. There's all these things that we would love to do at the outset. And when you're starting any endeavor, the urge is to launch literally every single thing that you think is a good idea. And we want to do that so bad. But we're also being realistic. And we're starting at this place with a podcast, a review page, and our journal. And we're also starting with a quarterly literary journal that will be publishing submitted articles and submitted essays. There will also be a cash prize for these submitters, and you'll be able to find our page via submittable and new pages, also via our website. And again, we would love to be starting with every single thing that was on our minds. We'd love to start with monthly subscriber content that will be pay what you can. We'd love to start with video content, and we're discussing lots of other things, but this is where we start. Today, we're going to be discussing the film Raw, um, the cannibal film. Yes, the cannibal film from 2016 uh, by director Julie Ducournau. I apologize if I'm saying that name incorrectly. You're going to hear me say it multiple times in this podcast, but I tried. I promise I tried. This podcast is mainly just going to deal with one slice of the Raw film, and there's clearly other criticisms that could be made of this film, another angle of analysis, but we're choosing to talk about this one specifically because we feel like it's valuable for you and for most people. I want to emphasize that this entire podcast is extemporaneous. It is not scripted. And with that comes a lot of good and uh, perhaps, at least in my self-conscious mind, a lot of bad. I try really hard to be as clear and coherent as possible, but this is just the nature of the beast. 
I'd love to hear your comments and your feedback, which you can get to me via email, you can get to me via comments on the page, or you could just DM me on Instagram. But without further ado, let's get to the Raw Podcast. Okay, so today we're going to be discussing Raw, um, and specifically one angle of the film uh, that is important and perhaps kind of underrepresented. And the reason it's underrepresented is actually quite interesting to me. Raw is a film that is very, very much in the horror genre um, in multiple ways. I mean, clearly there is a horror in the subject matter of the film. It's almost undeniable that uh, cannibalism in this specific case is clearly horrific, and the film doesn't shy away from showing that. Um, and so, uh, it's a film that is probably very into the you know gore genre, but that would completely misrepresent the film. And I think that's actually one of the the parts of Raw that that make it such an enticing movie for a person like me. I don't like gore films. In fact, I really don't like gore in films uh, that's just a personal taste thing i don't have any any issues with it i just don't really like gore i don't really feel like it gets the point across all that well when we're talking about horror uh, the things that are horrific in this world in my mind are uh less about gore than about the things that cause gore but raw is something that uh, is a film that does a really good job of discussing issues within the confines of this kind of, like, horrific backdrop. Um, and actually, one of, the, one of the most brilliant things about Raw is that it sort of... Uh, it kind of treats us like we're the audience uh, of an illusionist. They distract us with these really large details of cannibalism and, you know, eating each other, clearly things that are incredibly horrific, and, and distract us, and, and distract us from what's really going on in these moments. It's honestly a really brilliant filmmaking technique that's going on. Uh, and what it does is it allows a film like Raw that could be, again, on its surface, interpreted as just a horror movie, to become something much deeper and much more important and ask such incredibly profound questions about humanity. And that's something that a lot of its peers cannot do. And that's something that Raw did. This will put off a lot of people. Uh, and for good reasons, cannibalism obviously is not something that's easy to watch. It's very, it definitely makes people want to look away from the screen. But overall, this is an effective movie, um, like portraying ideas that otherwise might not be explored um, in such a way. Um, but what we're going to do in this is probably not talk too much about the cannibalism aspect of this. We're going to end on a moment that may not actually feel like all that much when you watch it the first time. We're going to discuss that moment um, in context uh, with the rest of the film. And again, it's a moment that may not feel like much the first time you watch it. And that's, again, one of the, one of the, the most brilliant things about the movie is that it is playing this, this constant you know, smuggling act where we're, where we're smuggling all this important stuff in under the guise of a horror movie. And 
uh, it could get kind of lost in there. So that's what we're doing today is we're pulling all these things out. But let's start here. We start the film and uh, we learn that Justine, the main character, is a vegetarian. In fact, this film, uh, just on a surface level, could be easily interpreted as like a pro-vegetarian, pro-vegan film. And, and that's, that may be true on some level, but I think that's a real oversimplification of what's going on here. And uh, let me support that. But first, let's talk about this. We learn not only that she's a vegetarian in that moment, uh, at the very beginning when she's being served um, by this woman at the, at the uh, lunch counter, uh, but what the lady does is she says no protein, and she says it very passive aggressively. You can almost hear her say, "What's wrong with you?" In it, and she has that look on her face, and then Justine reacts to that kind of with that same look, and she's you know very you know she's taken by that, and that kind of is the crisis of the film in a sense uh, that there is this feeling of being an other, um, and it's kind of condensed into that you know really that single very, fairly benign moment. Um, the uncomfortable nature of being the other. In this case, it's vegetarianism. But I think that we should kind of drop the context of vegetarianism in our world because this is kind of just a way to discuss this otherness. And so we fast forward from that moment where we learn this about Justine, and we get into another moment almost immediately where she's being branded as a different type of other. We see her arrive at veterinarian school, and she's branded by a rookie, or in our parlance uh, freshman uh, by the upperclassmen. In this case, it means a fairly extreme version of hazing. Um, I'm not quite sure how extreme it actually is. In fact, I feel like it may not be as extreme as, you know, it even kind of comes off at the moment. But anyway, it's hazing nonetheless. The rooms are ransacked, the beds are thrown out the window, um, and basically their whole night is turned upside down in the middle of the night uh, by the people kind of like breaking into their rooms, the upperclassmen breaking into their rooms. All the freshmen are forcefully ushered out. Uh, they're prodded and pushed onto an elevator, um, much like livestock. And again, that's where we're going to start off here with this, these illusions. In that moment, when they're pushed onto the, onto the elevator, they are like livestock. In fact, I think it's even a small joke that uh, Julie Ducournau uh, says or shows in the film where there's like a, a freshman wearing a Chicago Bulls sweater, where it just has a bull on the sweater. Uh, but they're being pushed onto this elevator uh, just like livestock. And just if you think that that is not entirely deliberate, um, the the allusion to livestock, we see them get off the elevator, and they're walking on all fours like animals towards something. Um, we don't know in that moment where they're walking towards, but we see them walking like animals on our on on all fours. Um, and again, the film is dominated by these allusions to animals, and I think on a surface level, again. You you would say something like that they were that we're comparing you know humans are just animals that we are just animals um, and on a level I don't think that the filmmaker would disagree but again that is I think oversimplification I think what we're dealing with here is more dehumanization and what I mean by that is it gets more complicated than just a comparison to animals because what we're seeing is a lack of agency or self determination. And we're calling that we're calling that freedom, in this case. And the reason we're calling it freedom is because, the upperclassmen do when they're being when they're rounding up these freshmen and forcing them onto the elevator. One of them says they're taking them to freedom. And we'll come back to that later. While all these freshmen are crawling like animals on all fours, they're being led to this party. 
that is virtually out of control. Uh, Justine goes from room to room, and there's all manner of uncivilized behavior um, where it's just <laughs> uncivilized, meaning just party behavior, just absolutely off-the-wall uh, stuff going on here. And she finds her sister, Alexia. Alexia's taking her away, um, and we'll get to where she's taking her to, but as they're leaving, there's another little joke, I feel like. Not even a joke, but something to support that theme where we see a stuffed animal hanging by uh, hanging by a wire, hung by a wire in the middle of this, uh, this party. But anyway, Justine's sister, Alexia, takes her uh, to a dark basement. Um, the sequence started off completely black, and all we see is Alexia flashing this flashlight off and on, and we see these images of of dead preserved animals, dead preserved baby animals in this case, probably fetuses. They're clearly young and they've been preserved for a very long time. And this scares Justine rightfully. Um, they're startling images when flashed in front of you suddenly, even even if you are at veterinarian school. But then Alexia leaves her flashlight on and we see what she's really trying to show Justine and that is that there's in this room all the pictures of past freshman classes along the walls. They walk along the, the wall, and they find their parents in these pictures. And in the picture, their parents are covered in the fake blood that's ceremoniously poured on them as a prank. Destine hasn't experienced this yet. Um, and Alexia says, it's, it's tradition, and you will do it too. The comparison here is pretty stark between these past freshman classes and these kind of like dead, preserved animals. Uh, and clearly, it would be that these pictures are preserving the past of these these now adults before they were changed and that's obviously a comparison to these the, prese the preservation of these dead animals but that comparison is pretty stark so we go forward a bit more and we see that justine is asked to eat a rabbit kidney as a part of this hazing ritual again she tries to avoid doing so but is coerced into her by her sister um alexia says you'll be happy you did it and they're watching and she's clearly alluding to this kind of uh, section of this school, the upperclassmen that are expecting them to act a certain way and to do these certain things to fit in and to become uh, upperclassmen like themselves. Soon after this, Justine develops a rash. And that's really the, the beginning of Justine's crisis. Before that moment, she has clearly been, clearly been bothered by what's going on and by what people are saying, what people are doing. But this physical reaction to it is is really the start of her her change and who she becomes. And when we see that, we see this rash develop after she's eaten a rabbit kidney and kind of fallen into line behind her sister and her sister behind the rest of everybody else. Immediately following that, we're shown a footage of a dramatically lit horse tied to a treadmill galloping. And again, it's important to say this too, is that this is a singular horse by himself, or herself, I suppose, tied to a treadmill and galloping. And uh, again, this is an animal being put through its paces. You could do all these different these different uh, allusions here, these different metaphors. You could try to read into this a lot. But the most important thing here is that we're seeing again this allusion to an animal kind of being put to its pace, put through its paces by these these outside forces, these almost unseen forces. And again, this is when the change really begins to take shape with Justine. It happens physically at first, and then in a dramatic moment again that we will discuss later, it switches. And while there are other dehumanization allusions that we could make uh, for this podcast, let's just keep it simple. Let's keep, 
keep it to what we already have in front of us. And let's continue on. These dehumanization illusions have their own power. And uh, the director, Julie Ducournau, makes a powerful statement about all of this earlier in the film. And I apologize, this is fairly graphic, but it's important. Justine sits with classmates at a lunch table, um, and one of her peers is discussing AIDS, and he's falsely claiming that AIDS was started because of a man raping a monkey. Justine corrects him and says that somebody just ate a monkey, that it was about eating a monkey, and she says, who'd be so sick that they'd rape a monkey? And then her friend says something that kind of sets her in a different direction. He says, legally, I'm not even sure monkey rape exists. Justine pushes back and says... I bet a rape monkey suffers just like a woman. And then a person across the table from her, down the table from her, says, so a raped woman and a monkey, the same thing? The group of people around her do not agree that this ridiculously extreme act would not have an effect on the animal. And this is shocking, I think, on its face for a lot of people, because clearly, I mean, you know, who cares about the legality of, like, raping a monkey? It's clearly an ethically terrible thing. But we're not discussing the ethics of this. We're just discussing just the psychological nature of it. And Justine is saying a raped monkey suffers like a woman. And she's granting not only just that. She says that a monkey is self-aware. It sees itself in, a, in the mirror. And why that's important Throughout the entire film, we've made all these allusions to animals, and we're making this connection. I think it's a fairly simple point, almost a banal point to make, that humans are animals. And in that moment, we're denying the awareness and the conscious of the animal that we're talking about here. And what we're doing is we're valuing a woman over a monkey. This conversation sets all these visual moments in serious contrast. Because Ducarnau is comparing these animal, these humans to animals, saying that there's clearly animal in us. There's something animal in us. And then here we are, surrounded by these people that are clearly devaluing animal agency and awareness. And this could just be construed as a statement about our treatment of animals. But it's a much more coherent statement about the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat those that do not meet society's standards. And let me explain that. Justine is clearly an other, and the whole film is really about her transition, about being kind of assimilated into this culture that basically, you know, eats itself and that it brings out all of these terrible, inhumane things out of her. But that's not just what it's about. It's not just about changing her. It's about the way that we treat each other. And when we're talking about animals and humans here, when we're comparing animals and humans, what we're really talking about is civilized versus uncivilized. It's a powerful comment about what constitutes civility in such a society. Is assimilation truly the most civilized thing to do in this case? And then perhaps even more dramatically, is it the societal structure itself that differentiates us from animals? Or is empathy and that charitable acknowledgement of other people's awareness that does? And let's kind of clear that point up here too. Is it better to be a society that is tribal in its traditions, that, that assimilates amongst each other and, and is nationalistic in a way? Or is it more important to have empathy and to, and to give that charitable acknowledgement of another person's conscious awareness as well? 
And we're asking really broad questions here. It wouldn't feel satisfying to simply pose the question. But the issue in raw is that we get so many answers the opposite direction. And what I mean by it is this, is when the upperclassmen, again, when they're leading the freshmen and they're ushering them onto the elevator and having them walk on all fours, they say they're doing so to lead them to freedom. And Alexia, when she's, when she's showing you know, when she's showing Justine that she's going to have all this blood poured on her and when she's basically, you know, telling her to eat the rabbit kidney. She's saying that all of this is tradition and that you will do it too. And then even further, when she's looking at the picture of her parents in the past, she says even her mom looks happy doing it. These traditions are part of society, but do they make us civilized? Do they make us uncivilized? Is this animal or is it not? And is it worth doing, even if it is inhumane? We have it in two parts. Earlier in the film, the upperclassmen required the freshmen to wear club clothes one day, or they were humiliated by having to wear a diaper. Justine was unprepared, and she was harassed by an upperclassman in the hall, and again was forced to wear a diaper. Afterwards, she goes to Alexia, who gives her a dress to wear. But Justine puts it on, and then she looks in the mirror and says, It's not me. Later in the film, in one of the most beautiful sequences, we get a long take slow zoom on a dead dog beneath a white sheet. After zooming in for a few seconds, an unseen hand pulls the sheet off of the dog, and he lays there unmoving and dead. And just as we've uncovered this dead animal in this sequence. And we cut to Justine, who is now comfortably wearing the dress that just a few minutes earlier, she said is not her. And she's dancing in the mirror, smiling at herself, kissing her own image. And we see that something dramatic has been awoken. If you like this podcast, and if you'd like to stay updated with our literary journal, go to our website at monolithmedium.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, read film reviews, check our deep dive essays, and listen to other podcasts. But most importantly, subscribe to our newsletter so you can keep updated on all of these things. This was Brett Hoy from Monolith Medium. Thank you for listening.